0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8 and then 19 through 22. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Father God, we thank you for this psalm, and it also creates a lot of questions. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the opportunity to set down our logical minds for a moment and take up the mind of faith so that we could stand in the tension of the celebratory nature of this psalm and also the confusing nature of this psalm. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give me the words to say to make preaching easy and give this congregation an ear to hear so that listening to your word would be delightful. And Lord, as always, uh, without using too many words, we lift up the synagogue this morning. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would hover over that place, hover over the darkness, hover over the chaos. Let them know that you know what it is to suffer. And let them know, Father God, in a way that they can understand or not understand that you actually went to the way of suffering for them. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that anyone who is honestly pursuing you would come face to face with Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. On April 29th, I preached a message called, Are You a Beacon? And the message had three parts and it came and went. Um, it caused some great conversations. We had great prayer over it. And I think it's so wonderful when God brings back up things that we've preached because I think sometimes as Pentecostal people, we're so in the moment all the time. That, like, when we ask God to do something, if he didn't do it tomorrow, we sort of forget about the fact that we asked him to do something. And once in a while, we get caught up on something that we'll remember forever and we'll keep asking him. But for the most part, if God doesn't move in the twinkling of an eye, sometimes we just move on to the next request. And I love when God brings back a message that we preached or a prophecy that was given. And he says, by the way, I'm still answering that. Don't forget about that. And so on April 29th, we preached, for three weeks we preached, Are You a Beacon? And what we preached is a prayer that I pray for the city of Beacon every day, which is, Lord, let beacons see light in your light. Which is to say, let them define truth by your truth. Whatever that means, and I always say this to God because I pray like a child. I'm like, whatever that means, what I just said, make that happen. Like, whatever, God, whatever you think what I said means, answer that prayer. Like, I don't pretend to know even what I'm... When I say, Lord, help me love my neighbor, I'm like, don't know what I just prayed for, though, but whatever I should have prayed for, answer that. I think that's when prayer actually starts, when we can get to that place. Three or four weeks ago, I got to the church at 7 in the morning on a Sunday, and there were flyers posted on our front doors that were anti-Jewish, racist, white supremacist advocacy flyers on our doors. And so we took them down. um, And as I've learned from the men who have formed my life for the last 20 years, we should respond, not react to things. And I didn't feel in my spirit that it was time to bring it up. Little did I know that God was doing that ...to teach me a lesson that is a beautiful lesson. And I, I want to I say right now as I tell this story, if you ever get to a point in your life where you have a position of influence, and it could be parenting, it could be a friend that has opened up their life to you and now you're standing in a leadership position over your friend because they're asking you for help or your job or whatever it is, ministry... If in that position of influence, you ever think for one second that you are done learning and now you've moved to the place of influence, run to your prayer closet and ask for forgiveness right away. One thing that will never happen, and, and Pastor Mark and Pastor Phil just wrought this into me like hardcore. Your you're pastor here right now, as long as I'm pastoring this church, I will always be a student all the time and hoping for moments to learn as much as I possibly can. I take the flyers down, I let the ushers know, let's just keep an eye on things over the next few weeks. By the way, can we please put our hands together for an ushering team that takes wonderful care of the church. Wonderful care of the church. And with that ushering team, crazy Dan Savage, he knows everything that's going on in the entire building, every lock that's locked, and also worships his brains out. So when Dan Savage is on our side let Israel now say. <laughs> I sat down with Rabbi Brent a few weeks ago at Bank Square in Beacon and he was discussing having an event where the Hebrew people can get together with the Christian people. And all I could do at the time was just, you know me, I just want to make sure that this doesn't become overtly political. That's one of the things that I care deeply about. And... Last time this happened, I spoke up in a meeting, and I won. And they were like, you know what, Pastor Bill, good point. And this time, I got shut down so hard. <laughs> it's like one of those moments, when I was in Little League, I, somebody hit a home run off me once, and it was it, the ball went so high and so far that I clapped for the dude who hit it. <laughs> I was like, whew, bang! And as soon as he hit it, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't even turn around to look. I'm like, I don't even want to see where that landed. But as he was rounding third base, I'm like, that was, I wish I could do that. Good for you, sir. I had that moment. Like, I just got so caught. I was just like, you know what, Rabbi, just, you're, you're good, and I'm just going to sit here. Just leave. <laughs> leave so I could drown myself in my coffee. We were having this conversation, and without divulging too many details of what he told me, it was quite personal. He basically said, do you notice there were no flyers put up on the synagogue? And I was like... Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't because I was just focusing on the ones that were put up on Salem. And he said, almost every church in Beacon got them, but the synagogue didn't get them. And he said, do you know what this is? This is recruiting. Because if they just wanted to terrorize, they would have put them up on the synagogue. But they don't want to terrorize. They want to recruit. And then he laughed and said, so the synagogue's not a great place to go to recruit people to be anti-Jewish. The sense of humor of Rabbi Brent is unlimited and unmatched, and I think I have a pretty good one, and I'm in awe of his. So he said, our people are terrified, not so much of what could happen on a Sabbath day, which they are afraid of that, as we all know. But he said, what we're the most afraid of is that some people in the Christian churches will say yes to the flyers. And he said, you might not understand this, But our history is one that Christians have said yes to those flyers. I was like, dang. This is why the book of James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. One of these days, I will get that right. And so I said, fine, then here's what we're going to do. Salem's going to open up their home for you to come here on Thursday night, November 1st. I said, let's invite... Everybody you feel, Rabbi, that should be here. And so on Thursday night, this coming Thursday night at 6 o'clock, here's who we have coming to Salem Tabernacle. Rabbi Brent and the synagogue will be here. Pastor Ben and the Presbyterian Church will be here. Members of New Vision will be here. Members of Springfield Baptist will be here. The mayor of Beacon will be here. I see you clapping. Can you clap really loud, please, so people can understand how to be hospitable when we say these things? Yeah, like he doesn't go to too many religious places, but when he feels that a church, regardless of its affiliation, is doing something really, really well, he wants to be there. I'm nervous about this next one since the mayor one kind of bombed. The imam from the mosque is going to be here. We're going to have a police presence here. We're inviting people from the community to be here. Salem, I'm telling you to be here. We want to have people in this room so we can let that community know that we are not bought by flyers or propaganda. They have to know that. They have to know that. We're going to be asking everybody to fast during the day on November 1st, and then we're going to break fast together in this room. It's going to be set up quite like the Christmas gala, and we're going to have tables, and we're going to have food. And th- Chris Muscat and the gang who runs our events, Dan Savage and them have been working overtime already, finding out dietary restrictions of the people who are going to be here. Like, we're, they're, they're helping us do this really, really well. Really well. It excited me so much when we're asking about all the dietary restrictions for the Hebrew people and the Muslim people to be here. He just said, can you just, to be safe, can you just do Italian? So amped up, I'm like, yes, we can do Italian. Pasta and stuff, not pizza, just that. Yes, something like that. Um, And so... They're going to be here. We're going to break fast together and they're going to do some songs. We're going to pray some prayers. Uh, our very own elder Ron Green is going to be speaking for a little while. I'm going to be speaking for a little while. And we have a unique way that we want to close this service out on Thursday night. And they agreed when we talked about this that the best way to rise up against hate, believe it or not, and this sounds very counterintuitive, is not to fight back and it's not to be passive. It's to actually repent of our proclivity to hate. And so I said to the rabbi, you know the book of Daniel? And he looked at me funny, and I'm like, that's right. Of course you know the book of Daniel. It's in your Bible, too. I forgot. My bad. I said, you know, when he was in Babylon, he went up to his prayer tower, and he repented for the sins of his fathers in the wilderness that he had absolutely nothing to do with. And I said, it's that kind of spirit that I want to have in the room where we just sit there and say, like, the seed of hate is saying a quick curse word when somebody cuts you off on the highway. Like, we don't see that as something that could turn into propaganda, but seeds never look like trees. And so all the little seeds that we just let go because it wasn't really that bad, they turn into stuff like this. And so, and this is just so odd. So... They, they saw our Are You a Beacon advertisement and said, could we use the same picture to call it one beacon, light in the darkness of racism and anti-Semitism. They said we liked the, when we saw it on social media, we liked that so much, the Are You a Beacon thing. And I thought to myself, God actually asked us, Are You a Beacon, in April, and we actually got a chance to say yes. We actually had a chance to say Yes. And so they asked us, how much should we, you know, people who are going to, you know, let us know ahead of time that they're coming, like what should the donation be? And I said, honestly, Salem's going to flip the bill for all the food just because we love you guys. (laughs) And we're not asking for an offering. When we ask at this point, now that we've been just bringing the church's finances into some kind of holy order, what I want to say to you is this. When we ask for an offering like I just did for the Salem Cares packages, it's no longer because we need it. It's no longer because we need it, which actually makes it more important for you to participate in it, because it is really just a, is the Holy Spirit compelling your heart, and that's it. So we're in a really good place, but it's a dangerous place, because to whom much is given? All right, all right. And so if you can be here Thursday night, please be here. It's 6 to 9 p.m. If you have any questions, call the church office. If you want to come here earlier and pray in the room, please do that. Um, We want to be hospitable There's, we did our best to control the content, but people are fired up. They're going to say some stuff. Honestly, we can handle it, right? We know who we are. We know what we believe, and we're going to be hospitable. And if anybody in this room or outside of this room says something like, why would you sit with those people? The response is, because Jesus did. That is why. So, with all this going on yesterday, I am, I'm at... A wedding For my sister-in-law Karen I officiated her wedding She tied it up with Mike Amato We had a wonderful time We went to the reception And then an after party So I mean it was like Eight hours of just partying like crazy And I'm celebrating And there's a lot of people In the room right now Who are also celebrating I was watching people Dance on the dance floor Ian danced on the dance floor So here's what Ian has on me. I didn't dance, and he did. So he had the courage to do it. So he can say that all day long, and he would be right. But Ian dancing with his wife is an amazing analogy for my message because my message is about how we celebrate and suffer at the same time. (laughs) Kerry dancing is celebratory. Ian dancing is like a 1910 firefighter trying to pump water so that they could put out a fire. I think at one point he was like fanning carry off because this, I love him. She loves him. We all love Ian. We are having all kinds of a good time and while that is happening, I'm getting text messages of what's going on in Pittsburgh. And I'm sitting, stuffing my face on food and eating ice cream that was somehow made in fire. They lifted up a curtain and there was fire. And I'm like, I wonder what they're cooking. And somebody said ice cream. And I'm like, what? So I went over and had all of it. And while this is happening, I'm getting these text messages about 11 people confirmed killed. Do you see what we just did? We just left and then hit the brakes real hard. This is life. We celebrate a wedding. We mourn a shooting. And we've been people who know, we've heard the phrase, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But the question is, what happens when they're, it's happening at the same time? What's happening when you're sitting at a reception watching Ian, laughing and having a great time? And getting text messages from the clergy and beacon and from the rabbi saying, Oh my God, do you see what's happening? This was the moment I was sitting in for the better part of eight hours yesterday and wondering if I should preach this message with that picture, knowing what happened. I wanna reread the psalm we just read, and I'm just gonna point stuff out while we read it. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So far, so good. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is great. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me out of all my fears. Question number one. He delivers us. Why do we have to have fear to be delivered from? If he can deliver us in the first place. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. On the one hand, that's great, but on the other hand, why are there troubles? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Did he? Can you see the wrestling match I was having knowing that I was preaching on this text, knowing what's happening in Pittsburgh? He delivers him out of all his troubles. And in my head, I'm like, God, did you read the newspaper today? When you know how just horrible you are, you can start to be sarcastic with God. Because if that's the worst thing I do in a day, we're way ahead of the game. (laughs) Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's confusing. Taste and see that he's good. Why do I have to take refuge? You only take refuge when things are happening that shouldn't be. Then we skip to verse 19, which gets, you know, very celebratory. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Did he? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. But a bullet, you know, it doesn't say anything about that. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. I know some Christians who have passed away untimely. Has anybody else? Like, sometimes I'm like, God, do you do your daily devotionals in the morning? Have you read the Book of Common Prayer with the rest of us? The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, God, we have used this text to celebrate, but it can also be used to mourn. What do we do with this? And the Holy Spirit said, that question you just asked me, speak about that. I'm like, oh, okay. The Bible is a word that should teach us to redefine and further define words. Read it, not to confirm what you already know, but to have a redefinition of what you already know. We read the Bible not to look for confirmation and affirmation. We don't read it looking for that. The Holy Spirit will give it when we need it. We read it to have a marketable redefinition of how we define life and how we relate to God in the light of what is going on in life. That's why we read the Bible. We should always read it expecting to be punched in the face by it. One of the Hebrew symbols for the Bible is a hammer for a reason. It should once in a while. That was very polite. It should hammer you. It should take things apart and put things back together. The Bible should be like a carpenter. There are two kinds of celebration. Both of them are good. One of them is bad if it's the only kind. So there are two kinds of celebration. Reactive celebration, which is celebration based on events. The Giants win. We celebrate. This season happens. We shut the TV off and watch movies with our wives and spend more time with the family because we care about them. You know what, Hun? i I'm not going to watch football today. I'm going to spend time with you. They're one in six. I root for the Giants, the Knicks, and the Mets. My life is under judgment. Shut up, Anthony. Reactive celebration. There's a birthday, you celebrate. There's a graduation, you celebrate. Something terrible happens, you don't. That's reactive celebration. There's nothing wrong with it. We're created to be that way. We're created to respond to grief with grief and to good things with celebration. Amen? But there's another kind of celebration, and it's redemptive celebration. And redemptive celebration is celebration rooted in the Holy Spirit's capacity to hold tension. And this is what I want to talk about today. In light of, which for me, November 1st begins the very beginning of being able to listen to uh, Christian, Christmas, kind of the same thing, music. November 1st, you're allowed to listen to Christmas music that doesn't have lyrics. So you can listen to Christmas jazz, classical Christmas piano, right? My Pandora just starts to like really get going around this time. The Charlie Brown Christmas album, can I get an amen from somebody in the house? (laughs) You just light a woodwick pine candle and put on the Charlie Brown and get lost for a minute. So in light of that, I'm going to quote the Grinch right now. I'm going to quote Dr. Seuss in the story of the Grinch. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. I wish that's why I got grumpy. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. Um, That's my concern. But I think the most likely reason of all may be that his heart was two sizes too small. And here's what I want to say about that. When our heart is shrunken because of sin, all we have the ability to do is celebrate or mourn based on the last event that happened. Our celebration and our grief is based on circumstance. When good things happen, we celebrate. When bad things happen, we grieve. And here's the problem. When our heart is shrunken because of sin, that's all we can do. All we can have is reactive grief and reactive celebration. The reality is the holidays are coming whether we like it or not, whether we're in a good season in life or not, whether we have money or not. The holidays are coming whether or not this year was good to us or bad to us. The holidays are coming whether or not we have our whole family around us or we've lost friends and family along the way this year. They're coming, and we're called to be salt and light in them, and some of us hardly feel like salt or light as these holidays are coming. I know a whole group of people down the street who right now are sitting there like, okay, you know what? You guys can have all your holidays. Please don't bring them anywhere near us. You're all going to decorate and stuff, and we're going to be devastated. But we still have to enter it. We still have to enter this season, and so how do we do it? The reality is this. A small heart makes celebration based on events, but here's the reality. Jesus was a unique individual because Jesus, the Bible says in prophecies about him, was a man anointed with joy above that of his, his brethren, but he was also, also a man acquainted with grief. And so here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus' heart was not made smaller because of sin, but it was as large as anyone's heart could possibly be. Does everybody remember the moment where Jesus in Gethsemane starts to ask the Father, let this moment pass. And we sit here very confused that why would Jesus, the Son of God, want to remove the death that he was called to die? This is a good question. One of the possibilities, and I love this, is that we would sit there and say it, the way, we, would, we would question it the way we question it because we're broken. But Jesus gets to the point of his death having actually lived life the way it was meant to be lived. He lived perfectly. And when you live perfectly, you you don't want it to end. So Jesus wasn't saying, Dad, I don't want to do what you called me to do. He was saying, This was nothing but bliss. Let's keep it going. I want to keep it going. None of us have experienced life like that. But Paul got a glimpse of it when he said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. He didn't say, To live is gain. He got a taste that when your heart enlarges, celebration and grief are not based on events. But when your heart grows, celebration and grief can both exist at the same time because they're existing someplace else. And so you can be the kind of person who can celebrate with the best of them and hospitably weep with those who are weeping without having to have an event Has anybody experienced that moment when things are so beautiful and you feel suddenly so sad? It's because in the presence of beauty, your heart grows. And when your heart grows, it becomes big enough to feel things that didn't happen to you but are happening. And so you walk around mature. And mature walking around is I'm celebratory and I'm grieving. And I experienced this at the reception yesterday where I'm so happy for my family. I'm so happy to have been a part of it. Karen and Mike are the two most innocent, wonderful, dated-the-exact-right-way couples I've ever seen in my life. And they deserved every bit of what happened yesterday. And at the same time, I'm getting these text messages that are hell on earth. And I'm sitting there praying, Lord, enlarge my heart right now. Help me to be big enough to not swing back and forth between the two because that's exhausting. Amen? Amen? Happy one second, sad the next second, but help me stand here like a spiritual man, mature, and say, let, let both of these exist in me at the same time. Help me to be big enough to handle the sadness and the sorrow, and at the same time, celebrate the good that is happening in the same moment, in the same body, with a big heart, not like the Grinch, but like the Grinch at the end, when it grew really, really large. His heart. I don't know why, what just happened just now. Somebody should also tell Dr. Seuss that if somebody's heart grows two sizes in one day, they should go to the hospital. But that's. Here's the definition of celebration celebration happens when we know that what the Spirit is doing in us is greater than the time we are currently having being a redemptively celebratory person, somebody whose celebration grabs somebody else's sorrow and begins to redeem it. Not somebody who's just merely celebrating something that deserves to be celebrated, but somebody whose celebration is grabbing the sorrow of the people around them and redeeming it. And how does that happen? It happens when we know that what's going on in my heart through the Holy Spirit is greater than the time I'm having, regardless of the time I'm having. So when I'm at a wedding and I'm standing right here like yesterday, doing the the wedding for my sister-in-law, I have to know that what the Spirit's doing inside of my heart is greater than this wedding. When I'm watching Sophia be the cutest baby on the face of the earth, I have to know that what the Holy Spirit's doing in my heart is greater than that moment. Because if it's not, then we idolize those moments and we make them have to last. And so many people in this room, including me, we've exhausted ourselves trying to make good times last. Because we need them too much. Because we're not paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our heart. So when good things happen, we try to hold on to them. When bad things happen, we try to end it as fast as possible. We learn nothing in the process of doing that. When I know that what the Holy Spirit's doing in me, what's going on in my heart, what's going on in the heart of Salem, what's going on in the heart of all of you, when, when we can realize that that's greater than the time we're having, whether the time we're having is celebratory and beautiful or horrific and terrible... We can be celebratory in both in a way that's redemptive. When I'm celebrating the work of God in my life, when I'm celebrating the work of God in your life, I have a celebration that's greater than the one at a wedding. So it takes the celebration of a wedding, or the celebration of a birth, or the celebration of a promotion, or the celebration of buying a new house, whatever it is. When we're celebrating something greater, when we're celebrating something perfect, we take that celebration and we bring it to its proper context, which is glorify God not just idolize the moment, but glorify God. And when we have something inside of us that's greater than the pain we're feeling, because how many know, because of that piece of furniture right there, that cross, the pain that Jesus felt is greater than the pain we feel? It can take up the pain that we feel, and it can celebrate because it brought that pain to an empty tomb. So whether you're in a funeral or a wedding, the birth of a child or you're standing with 911 called to your house, whatever the situation is, when you know that the thing going on in your heart is greater than the time you're having, you will take up that moment and you will bring it into the reality of God and it will be redemptive celebration. That's what God has called his church to. Not just to celebrate like the world celebrates. We should look a lot like them, but there should be something in us that is greater than the moment we're in. Greater than the grief, greater than the celebration that we're experiencing, the work of God in our hearts. Jesus is always the resurrected one, amen? Amen. But he's also always the crucified one. The cross holds these realities together and says, I'm the resurrected one. Read the book of Revelation, and there was a lamb standing as if it had been slain. I'm the resurrected one, but I'm also the suffering one. And so if you're, if you're experiencing something like a wedding, which is a type of resurrection, he's the resurrected one. And if you're in a funeral, he's the crucified one. But he's also the other for both. When you're at the wedding, he's also the crucified one. So don't let that moment mean more to you than him. And when you're at the funeral, he's also the resurrected one. So don't let the grief go out of control. You're going to see that person again, as Elder Ron said this morning. This is the kind of celebratory nature we have to have What does this psalm teach us about celebration? Teaches us that celebration is rooted in discipline. David wrote this psalm when he was running from Saul. When he had to make himself crazy so that they didn't murder him. In the middle of literally having to act like he has lost his mind, which it would be nice to act like I've lost my mind. Most of the time I'm trying to pretend and prove to people that I haven't, which is interesting. He wrote this psalm when he was running from Saul, when he had nowhere to go. He had no home. He had no place. He had nowhere to rest his head. Who does this sound like? He wrote this psalm in that space. And this is why in Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's a command to rejoice, but the Bible never tells us. It never gives us a command to grumble because we do that really well without being told. It commands us to walk in the other direction. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And like, as a preacher, I understand Paul. He's like, rejoice in the Lord always. Y'all didn't hear me. And again, I say rejoice. You have to command yourself. In James, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And the word count in the Hebrew has to do with a judge pronouncing a sentence over something. You have to count it all joy. You have to tell joy that you're going to be here today. Because if we don't take authority over it, it won't be. Celebration is rooted in discipline. It's not a state of being. It's a discipline. If all we are is reactive, it's a state of being. But if we want to be redemptive with celebration, it's a discipline. It's something we practice. So if everything is going wrong for you right now and you're hearing this message on celebration and everything's going wrong, you are in the perfect scenario to practice celebration. Like we practice. I didn't practice handwriting. I should have how did God give me an English major as a wife? Like, I feel like everything I say and do, she's like, oh, that's, was that your handwriting? I'm like, you know it was my handwriting, hon. Like, when I signed the wedding certificate, she's like, oh, thanks. Hmm. <laughs> like, eight years in, we don't say anything anymore. It's just a look. Hey, can you sign this? Sure, I'll sign it. Oh. <sighs> we have to practice things to get good at them. You have to Practice public speaking to get good at it. I have to say something now. We practice it. We bought Sophia a bike. She doesn't understand what to do with her legs when she's on the bike. It's hilarious. We laugh at her, but we have to help her at some point. You have to practice it. She just stands there and, like, moves her both feet in the opposite direction, and it doesn't go. God probably sees us doing that all the time with life. My goodness. Going and stopping at the same time, Tim. Tim. We have to practice it. Celebration is rooted, is communal. He said, let us exalt his name together. And he said this while he was alone. Let me say this. If you don't participate in a healthy way in the church, you will never be a redemptively celebratory person, only a reactive celebratory person. You might get provoked after I say this, but seven of you signed up for work day on Saturday. If there's 200 people in the room, apparently the Holy Spirit has told 193 people not to go because you're going to be out redeeming the world in another way, which I'm really excited to see how our numbers triple next Sunday because of what you're all doing on Saturday. The reality is this. When you look more forward to Saturday than Sunday, you're damaging yourself, your church, and your family because it's only here that we learn to be redemptively celebratory And we're going to talk about why in a minute. But it's only in the body of Christ. It's only in the person of Jesus that we can learn to be redemptively celebratory. We're created by God, even without Jesus, to be reactively celebratory. It's who we are. But to be redemptively celebratory, you need Jesus, which is to say you need his body, which is the church. All the events... You can say as much as you want. We know, pastor, you want to have a lot of people at these events. Blah, 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 blah. I want your heart to change. And the very fact that coming to a workday doesn't feel like a celebration is why you need to practice celebration. I'm fine feeling alone up here. Perfectly comfortable. It's very, very comfortable with everybody staring at me, kind of mad, kind of not, kind of unsure. Still mad about the Grinch joke I accidentally made before? It's communal. Redemptive celebration is communal. If we don't learn to practice being here when the body gathers, we will always be a slave to the next event that happens. Here is where all events can happen, and we can still be celebratory. And celebration is sourced by the prophetic. And this is why it's the third and final message on a series on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit honesty inside the edges we talked about. Holy Spirit trust inside the edges we talked about. And now we're talking about Holy Spirit celebration inside the edges. And we need the Holy Spirit for this kind of celebration because this kind of celebrating, what I'm talking about right now, is supernatural. It's not the kind of celebrating you can come up with on your own. You cannot be this on your own. You cannot choose to be this on your own. Only the person of Jesus can be this kind of person who can both celebrate and mourn at the exact same time and do both well. Only Jesus is big enough to do that, and it's in his spirit, because the spirit is also Jesus, amen? It's only in his spirit that we can be this, and he poured out his spirit on the church. And so we need to be in Christ, in the church, to be able to receive that part of the Holy Spirit that makes us the kind of people together that can experience all the life's brokenness and all of life's joys at the same time and do both well. But it's only in the prophetic that it happens. We need the Holy Spirit. And to whatever extent, right now, you're starting to check out, like you don't feel like this message is really for you. You're at the end of what it means to be natural. Take one more step. One more step. We need to step all the way out of natural thinking, leave logic at the door, and step into trust. Step into honesty, which is why I talked about this first. We have to be able to trust him in order to be honest with him and say, God, I heard what pastor said today, and really, he kind of made me mad. Really, he's grandstanding. Whatever it may be, honest. Please go and be honest with him. Be as honest with him as you can possibly be, because if your heart is really open, the Holy Spirit is going to get you whether you like it or not. He's going to get you. I pray every day that he gets you, that he breaks in unannounced and gets you. Like he got me sitting across from Rabbi Brent at Bank Square. Got me. I love it. I want to be gotten like that as much as possible. It's better for the world when I'm gotten like that as much as possible. How does David do it? David stands in his present moment of plight, and he remembers for the future. David remembers forward when you read the text. He remembers forward. He remembers what God did in the past and announces future hope. There's something about remembering Christ. And I'm not talking about remembering Christ like, oh, I remember when Jesus did something for me. I'm talking about the moment when you're about to really let somebody have it and you remember Jesus. Not like recalling a memory like, you know what, Anthony, I think. And then the Holy Spirit's like, Jesus. And you're like, Jesus. (laughs) Anthony, I love you so much. You're a powerful friend. You know, that kind of thing. Like where Jesus pops into your head. It's a holy remembering. It's not the remembering where you recall a memory. It's the remembering that, oh yeah, I have to go buy milk. Like it's that kind of thing. Like that moment of redemptive remembrance that pops into your head and it changes the way you're currently handling yourself. Celebration happens when we prophetically remember Christ when we never have a break. When life just doesn't stop, when work during the week turns into stuff at home, turns into stuff at church, turns into drama with our friends and family, and it's just one long day, it feels, like this, it feels like last month was just one really, really long day where you had some cat naps in the middle of the day. When you just can't get a break, where you just can't breathe, the Spirit helps us prophetically remember Christ in those moments. The one who said, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest. And the one who couldn't rest is also the one who said, take my yoke upon you. Isn't that amazing? The one who couldn't rest is the one who says, come and I'll give you rest. It's this paradox that grips us. But we have to remember it. It's not enough to hear it right now and say amen. We have to remember it. We need the Holy Spirit for that. Celebration happens when we prophetically remember Christ. When in the grip of loneliness, and not just the kind of loneliness that comes from not having anybody, sometimes, and if this is you, you'll understand it right away, sometimes it's not the kind of loneliness that happens when you don't have people. Sometimes it's the kind of loneliness where you feel like you don't even know yourself, like you don't even have yourself. The kind of loneliness where it could also be described as just emptiness. Remember Christ. The one who felt abandoned on the cross, like we said two weeks ago. And also the one who abandoned himself on the cross when he said into your hands, I commit my spirit. The one who felt abandoned, but the one who also lost himself to the Father. The holidays have a way of making us feel lonely. Remember him. Spirit, help us to remember him. Celebration happens when we prophetically remember Christ, when our needs are not met. This is why the psalm frustrated me. We all have a need to be able to live well and not have our life be cut short by tragedy. And it feels like some people yesterday died with that need not met. Some people are hungry. When we come to the Eucharist in a little while, we're going to eat more than some people will today. We're going to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and some people, that prayer's not going to be answered for them today. I don't have an answer. I've learned enough trying to answer that question that Here's what I need, the Holy Spirit. I need to, if you're here and your needs are not met this morning, you need the Holy Spirit to help you remember Jesus in a way that will mean something for you that I can't describe right now. Sometimes we need God in a way that no human can describe. Sometimes we need God to give us understanding that no person can give us. Sometimes your situation is so unique that only God can talk to you about it, and even your pastor on a Sunday can't. Even your pastor in my office can't. There's just times where we need God to speak to us in a way that only the good shepherd can. We need to prophetically remember him in the the anger of not having our needs met, in the frustration, in the hurt of not having our needs met. We have to be able to remember Jesus who cried out, I thirst. Who cried out, I have a need that's not being met. Somewhere in there, he can speak, and he can help us to be celebratory. If that seems impossible, that's why we need to be Pentecostal people. Amen? Do we believe in miracles in this house? Not just cancer go away, not just blind eyes open, but how about lonely people who are really lonely no longer feel lonely, even though they, the circumstances are the same? That's a good miracle. Celebration happens when we prophetically remember Christ when all is well. Let's never forget that. you got to remember him at a wedding as much as you got to remember him at a funeral. Because if we don't remember him when things are going well, we will idolize the well. We'll get very comfortable with things going well, and we will be blindsided by life when it changes. There's a redemptive celebration that can come up in you when things are the best they could possibly be in your life. And honestly, sometimes that happens. I think right now in my life I'm experiencing this. I was telling some people at the wedding yesterday, this, my wife and I, were standing in the good old days right now. Like these are, the, these are great years. These are great years that we're in right now, and here's what we have to fight for. We have to fight for the reality that what the Holy Spirit's doing in our hearts is better than the life we're living right now. And if we can really get there, when the life we're living now starts to ebb and flow and change, that celebration stays exactly the same. So even when things are well, remember that in the Holy Spirit that Jesus is better than that well. He's better than the thing that is going well. He's more securing, more satisfying, more endearing, more blissful, more wooing than any good thing that's happening. And so we don't need to white-knuckle hold on to those good times. We can let them be what they are because Jesus is more than that. And that kind of celebration is such a joy that things can't take away. When, When your joy is even greater than the best season in your life, how great is that joy? And then, of course, we remember Christ prophetically when all is broken. And that's how we come to the table this morning. John, you can come up worship team, you can come up. Right in the middle of this psalm, David writes, taste and see. He's running from Saul. Things are going bad. He's wrestling back and forth between, uh, you know, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together and then stuck in the things that are happening, the fears, the need for deliverance. And so what do we do? We come to this table every Sunday because when we're standing in front of the Eucharist, and here's Why we say Eucharist and not communion? Because Eucharist means thanksgiving. That's what it means. It means the great thanksgiving. And so we're looking at this meal, this broken meal, this meal that was given on the night when somebody was betrayed, this meal that was given when the Son of Man was betrayed, one of the darkest nights in human history, this meal is given. And in this meal, we see the howling reality of suffering and the unyielding reality of joy at the same time. And so in the Eucharist, we taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're at a wedding, you can taste and see that the Lord is good in this meal. If you're at the funeral parlor, you can taste and see that the Lord is good in this meal. If he just walked out on you, cheated on you, and left you, you could see and taste and see that the Lord is good in this meal. If your kids are doing great, good for you, you can taste and see that the Lord is good in this meal. And if they're doing horribly you can taste and see that the Lord is good in this meal because this one little meal encompasses all of the realities of life. The brokenness, but also the joy of an offering. God's saying, I'm broken, but God's saying, I'm broken for you. In this meal, we become celebratory people. That's why it's called the Great Thanksgiving because in it, we become celebratory people. You can walk up to this meal with all of the wrong going on and taste and see. If everything's going well, when you reach your hand and you get that bread, bring all the good with it and taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus tastes better than your suffering. He tastes better than your joy. He encompasses all of it in this meal. The world needs us to not just eat this meal but become it. The world needs us to become the kind of people who say, this is my life given for you. This is my money spent for you. This is my home open for you. This is my heart accepting you. This is my ear listening for you. This is my mouth praying for you. These are my hands helping you. The world needs us to be Eucharistic. It needs us to not just be reactively celebratory, but redemptively celebratory. Let's stand to our feet.